Hello, kitchen nerds, and welcome to Blender Kitchen. I'm your host, Nicole, and I would like to invite you to join me on a culinary historical adventure. In this podcast, we like to explore different foods, different recipes, different food types, and kind of see, like, how did we get here from where it started? So, buckle in. It's going to be a wild ride. Welcome back, Kitchen Nerds. Uh, The holiday season is fast approaching, and this is our last episode before the Thanksgiving special. And rest assured, for those of you who have been here for a while, you know that our Thanksgiving special last year was a little bit of a disaster, what with equipment malfunctions, and then we lost like an entire day's worth of recording. But we've worked out all the kinks, and we are ready and prepared to bring you the Thanksgiving special that your heart truly desires. Um, the last of our side dishes are uh, side dish recipe episodes. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, let's dive in. Today we're looking at pickles and not the typical pickles um, that most people Americans think of the pickled cucumber, but all sorts of pickled foods in their deliciousness. Now, what is a pickle? Let's get into some definitions. Pickling is the act of preserving foods in vinegar, brine, or a similar solution. It's one of the oldest methods of food preservation, one of the earliest mobile foods, and an important winter food source in many cold nations. A pickle is anything preserved via the methling, the method of pickling. Also, it can be called a pickled food so that it denotes this is not a cucumber, but some other type of pickled veg or fruit or meat. More into that later. Um, where does the word pickle come from? Well, in India, the word for pickle is achar, which the food scientist Katie Achaya defines as cooking without fire. In English and German, the word pickle derives from the Middle Dutch word pico, um, meaning to brine. Now, how do you create a pickled food? Well, let's get sciencey, and I'm going to read directly from my notes because I am not a scientist and I don't want to get this incorrect. So, Lactic microbial organisms develop when they turn naturally occurring sugar into lactic acid. The acidic environment makes it impossible for bacteria that could lead to spoilage to multiply. High moisture foods can be pickled just by adding salt. Um, Virtually any food can be pickled. And we'll touch briefly on some things that have been pickled and that are popular as pickles throughout this episode. Now, who came up with this genius idea of keeping food from spoiling? The first usage of pickles occurred about 3,000 years before present in Western Asia, Egypt, and Greece. 
the first record of pickling cucumbers specifically was found in ancient Mesopotamia. When cucumbers uh, were brought to Mesopotamia from India, that's kind of when the two were married, the act of pickling and the vegetable cucumber. Cleopatra cited her health and beauty to pickles in her diet. She shared the habit of eating pickles with her lover, Julius Caesar, and he had his troops begin eating them so that they would grow strong. Later, Aristotle would posit that pickles had healing properties. Dill is important to any solid pickled cucumber, and this spice was added to the pickling process around... 980. It arrived in Western Europe from Sumatra and um, kind of worked its way through cuisine that way. It's unclear who exactly was the first to popularize dill in pickles, but thank you for your contributions to society. Pickles are a pretty commonplace condiment and snack in, in England and in America, but specifically in England they've been popular since the 15th century. Queen Elizabeth I was fond of them, and Shakespeare referred to pickles um, throughout his work and created new metaphors using pickles. Um, I thought some of them were hilarious. Um, Hamlet, Twelfth Night, Anthony and Cleopatra are just some of the plays that mention being having to metaphors to do with pickles um to be in a pickle comes from hamlet and refers to being in a difficult situation honestly i feel like we don't give shakespeare enough credit for his contributions to the english language so thank you shakespeare we appreciate you amerigo's vespucci was a ship's Chandler in Sevilla, Spain before he became an explorer. A ship's Chandler was a merchant who supplied seafaring ships with preserved meats and pickled veggies for the long voyage. This was a great way for sailors to have food that was not spoiled and to prevent scurvy. This is where you begin to see things like pickled meat. Like We don't really think of meat as pickled, but a lot uh, a process of pickling is to add salt to a food and if you add salt to say beef tongue you then have pickled beef tongue uh, Amerigo Vespucci developed this really cute nickname during the course of his dealings as a ship chandler they referred to him as the pickle dealer he stocked his own ships with pickles when he explored the world and set foot on the Americas and he helped stock Columbus's ships for Columbus's voyages to America. In fact, Columbus planted cucumbers in Haiti with the purpose of pickling them for their return voyage. The things the scurvy was such a horrible disease that once we figured out how to not have that happen, we were like anything we can do. And honestly, it's vitamin C and that you get from many different vegetables. Um, and because everything spoils fairly quickly without refrigeration, pickling, drying, fermenting were excellent ways of bringing food on long sea voyages. 
As early as 1606, pickles were being produced both at home and commercially. The English brought methods of pickling over with them when they arrived in America, um, such as the sweet pickle with vinegar, sugar, and spices. Around this time, paraffin wax was invented, and this made it a lot easier to begin pickling at home because it sealed the food. It kept other bacteria out, um, so it allowed your pickles to keep longer. You may be uh, asking yourself, didn't we just say that the act of pickling kills bacteria that causes spoilage? And the short answer is yes. The long answer is yes, but bacteria are very resourceful and will thrive if given even the littlest bit of a chance to live. Um, so without a completely airtight environment or refrigerated environment, eventually even pickles will spoil because those bacteria that like to call spoilage will work their way into the container and just wreak havoc on your preserved goods. New York uh, City was home to the largest concentration of pickle producers in the United States in the 1600s, and for several decades after, with Brooklyn being the center hub. It was, predom it was an industry predominantly um, predominated. I don't think that's proper English. Let's try again. The Dutch people predominated the industry and really um, made a name for themselves, made a name for New York in the pickle world. Dutch pickles were considered considered prize delicacies. Um, we're going to circle back around to that in a little bit later. Um, Europeans brought many wonderful things to America. I know that we sometimes harp on all the horrible things that they brought, like smallpox and death, you know, just straight up murder. Um, but this is a food and history podcast. And one of the beauties of immigration is that when you come, you are also bringing a cultural representation of wherever you're from to whatever country you go. If you immigrate to Germany from Turkey or to India from America or from China to Ireland, you're bringing with you your history and your culture and your ways of preparing food and your uh, spices that you prefer and you're adding it to ingredients from the country that you currently reside in and that's cuisine that's how cuisine is born but I digress uh, in 1820 a chemist named Friedrich Ackham Friedrich Ackham I promise I am actually working on my pronunciation even though it feels like from week to week things get worse Anyway, our dear Friedrich published a treatise on the adulteration of food and culinary poisons in 1820. In this treatise, he revealed that pickles were commonly treated with copper salts to brighten their coloration. Copper salts is a straight-up poison. It'll kill you. It'll make your pickles look great, but you'll also be dead. And pickles were not 
the only thing that were affected by this. Um, this treatise, along with the efforts of H.J. Heinz Company, did a lot to influence the Pure Food and Drug Act in the United States. Now, Heinz may sound familiar, and they should. They marketed their 57 varieties of pickles, preserves, and other jarred foods um, from the, really the time of their inception. They popularized the cucumber at the World's Fair by hiring young um, children, mostly boys, to greet fairgoers and say, you know, come back to the Heinz booth. Um, if you if you sample our wares, you'll get a nice little gift, a free gift. Because when Heinz was at the first World Fair in 1893, he, he had a horrible booth way in the back of the fair, out of the way. No one was going to come there. So this marketing ploy was fantastic. It got people to come to the booth to sample the wares, to fall in love with pickles, and started a tradition of collecting pickle pins. It's a marketing technique that they used across several other world fairs and really just brought them to the prominence of the pickle world. So they were able to lobby Congress and played a huge part in making sure that food was safe to eat. And um, well, this is to the benefit of human health and prosperity. It also played a great boon a great economic boon for Heinz. Um, it it made Heinz be able to say, our pickles are safe for you to eat. Our competitors are putting copper salts, they're putting arsenic, they're putting mercury. Our pickles are 100% natural. They're not going to poison you. And uh, by, you know, lobbying for legislation to prevent other pickling companies from putting in... Uh, you know, straight up poison into their products, it allowed them to say, you know, like, they can't even, it's illegal for them to do what they were doing before. They can't do it now, and our pickles still look better than theirs because our product is superior. And Heinz remains a household name today, so they must have been doing something right. A Scottish chemist named James Young patented a paraffin wax production that used dry cold distillation in 1851. Why are we mentioning this? Put a pin in that. We're going to move on to a different man, John Mason of Philadelphia. He invented the mason jar in 1858. It was made of heavyweight glass that could withstand high uh, temperatures. The patent for John Mason's original mason jar expired in 1879, but manufacturers continued to use the name Mason. These two inventions, the better paraffin wax production and the mason jar, really just made at-home canning extremely possible and very cheap. But fast forward. But wait, there's more! Uh, Lucius Stiles Ball founded the Ball Brothers Company in the early 1890s. Hold that thought. Alfred Bernadin invented the first metal tops to be used in commercial canning in 1881. Bernadin and Ball merged in 1993 to firm the Altrista Corporation, which is the largest producer of mason jars today. 
and at-home canning has never been easier. A large number of immigrants in the 19th and 20th centuries increased pickle consumption. Remember I said, we're going to come back to the Dutch? Well, this is us coming back to the Dutch. Eastern European Jewish people brought the kosher pickle to America. Pickled vegetables were a staple uh, in Ukraine and Poland, Lithuania and Russia. And this method of preserving food came came with them when they immigrated to America. Now, the Ashkenazi Jewish people would ferment barrels of cucumbers, beets, and shredded cabbage. It would be set aside in a warm pit place and left to ferment for several weeks, and then it would be transferred to cellars, uh, cool cellars, where it would keep throughout the winter. And that's what you would eat until the spring crops arrived. It would basically add vegetables and nutrients and vitamins and flavor to an otherwise pretty bland winter diet of bread and potatoes. In fact, when we get into our recipe for this week, you'll see exactly what some of that blend of pickled cucumber, beets, and shredded cabbage went into making. How do you make a kosher pickle? You wash and pile the cucumbers into large barrels, or at least they did in the 1800s when uh, Jewish people were selling pickles and popularizing the sale of pickles as a street food. Then you add dill, garlic, spices, kosher salt, and clean water. You leave this to ferment anywhere between a few weeks and several months. After a few weeks, your pickles are bright green and half sour. After several months, they're darker green and full sour. Um, I don't know of a better way to explain that. But if you've never had a pickle, sometimes when you bite in, that initial like splash of vinegar that comes into your mouth is like a fantastic salty, soury taste. So the longer your pickle sits in the brine, the more vinegary it's going to taste. Because pickles were so popular and so many people were getting into the pickle business, workers banded together to protect themselves against being taken advantage of. And the trade union for pickles uh, emerged in 1893. They were called pickle packers. Mount Olive... I don't know if this sounds familiar to you, but when I learned this little bit of, of fun, this little tidbit of research, I immediately could see the pickle jar in my mind. Mount Olive's Pickle Company was founded in 1926 in Mount Olive, North Carolina. They had the intention of creating a brine for other pickle companies to use in commercial pickling, but they ended up going into business for themselves and they're one of the largest u.s pickle producers today today people in the united states eat approximately nine pounds of pickle per person per year and it's not just pickled cucumbers pickled pig's feet pickled eggs which i honestly i tried it because i'm a firm believer and you don't know if you don't like it unless you've tried it and I can firmly say that I am not a fan of pickled eggs I don't think they're delicious 
But if you do, and if you have a, a recipe that I must try, please DM me on Instagram at Blender Kitchen because I would love to become a convert to pickled eggs. The French prefer spice cornichons served with pâtés and pungent cheese, and I have had cornichon with pâté and pungent cheese on the same plate, and that like bright acidity really breaks up the texture and the heaviness of the pâté and and really the cheese. Cheese can be pretty heavy. A lot of Middle Eastern cuisine serves pickles with every meal that you can imagine. Pickled peppers, pickled lemons, pickled olives. Uh, Russians, pickled tomatoes. Uh, Koreans make kimchi, which is a pickled cabbage similar to sauerkraut. Germans and other uh, European people make sauerkraut, which is pickled cabbage. Japanese people pickle plums and daikon, which is kind of radish. And Italian people pickle eggplants and peppers. Remember what we said about pickles being a huge boon to preventing scurvy? Well, it turns out they can also, pickling a food, can also provide nutritional value by introducing B vitamins that are produced by the bacteria. However, there are some downfalls to pickles. The WHO lists pickles as a possible carcinogen due to a high probability of fungi um, in some pickled vegetables. Some fungus, some fungi can facilitate the formation of N-nitroso compounds. N-nitroso compounds are carcinogens. And this is the danger of pickling at home or of eating bad pickles. This sentiment from the WHO is backed up by the British Journal of Health. They found that pickles increased your risk of esophageal cancer, um, as well as by the Chinese Journal of Cancer, which found that there was a fourfold increase in nasopharynx cancer among those who ate salted vegetables. So, if you open your pickles, keep them in the fridge. If it doesn't feel like it tastes like it should, don't eat it. And like most things, um, moderation is key. So, I am going to have a long draught of tea, and when we come back, we'll get into our recipe. This week's recipe is borscht, a beet stew. It's a two-part recipe. First, you'll need to prepare the pickled beets. To do so, you'll need one pound of red beets, one cup of apple cider vinegar, half a tablespoon of kosher salt, one teaspoon of dry mustard, and five whole black peppercorns. Peel and slice the beets. Add salt, mustard, and peppercorns to a large mason jar. Add the beets to the mason jar and cover with apple cider vinegar. Close the jar and allow it to sit in the refrigerator for at least 24 hours. To prepare your stew, you'll need 12 cups of beef or vegetable broth, low sodium, five cups of green or red cabbage, thinly sliced, one large onion, chopped, 
two tablespoons olive oil, your pickled beets, six ounce can of tomato paste, low sodium, two teaspoons of salt, three bay leaves, ground black pepper to taste, and one fourth cup dill or parsley finely chopped. In a large Dutch oven, add the broth and the bay leaves and bring to a boil. Once the broth is boiling, add cabbage, cover, and allow it to come back to a boil. Reduce the heat to low and simmer for 20 minutes. While this broth is simmering, in a large skillet on high heat, add one tablespoon of olive oil. Add the garlic and onion and saute for five minutes or until the garlic and onions are soft. Stir occasionally. You don't want it to stick to the bottom of the pan. Add the beets in to the large skillet, the remaining olive oil as well, and cook for three to four minutes. Then transfer all of the vegetables from the skillet to the broth in the Dutch oven. Add pepper to taste. Stir and allow this, this stew to simmer for 10 minutes on low heat. After 10 minutes, add the dill or the parsley, whatever you've chosen to go with. Stir and allow it to simmer for an additional five minutes. Your stew is done. Serve hot with a dollop of sour cream. Thanks so much for listening. Um, honestly, I do the show because I love it and I love presenting the information, but having you guys listen and join in is honestly one of the best parts of doing it. Um, if you want to drop ideas for a new show uh, or a topic that you want to hear, head on over to our Instagram and hit us up in uh, our DMs at Blunder Kitchen on Instagram. If you want a link to any of the research that we used for this episode, you can check out um, all of our research for this episode and past episodes at BlunderKitchen.com. Likewise, all of the recipes listed are archived on BlunderKitchen.com. BlunderKitchen.com is kind of our hub for everything. Um... So, what else? Oh, yes. Thank you so much for your support and just listening, you're supporting. But if you want to help us even more, tell a friend, um, you know, recommend us or like, uh, rate and review, subscribe, you know, whatever is the best method, depending on the podcatcher that you're using to listen to the show. Um, or consider us by consider buying us a coffee um, on ko-fi.com slash blender kitchen that link is in our bio on instagram and uh, as well as on our website at blunderkitchen.com um, you know again i do this because i love it and it's fantastic but every little bit counts and we're working on getting some sweet, sweet merch into your hands. Um, so your wonderful, kind donations would go to projects like that. Until next time, stay frosty, kitchen nerds. <laughs>